Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. Whether you are in the room live, watching live online or later on demand, or listening to our podcast, we've been praying that you would experience the life-changing power of God in your life today. If this is your first time visiting Dayspring, we want you to know that this is the kind of church where you get to be you. There's no need to pretend that everything's perfect in your life. It's certainly not in ours. We are regular people on a journey, allowing Jesus to make something beautiful out of our broken and often messy lives. We're learning to live like Jesus, a little more today than yesterday, a little more tomorrow than today. I'm Chris Voigt, and I lead the team here at Dayspring. That team is made up of people committed to helping you grow. People grow here because our team loves to challenge, encourage, and equip people to become more like Jesus. So if you're on that journey too, we're looking forward to lending a hand. Even if you aren't sure that you're ready to be on that journey with us, maybe you are skeptical about the claims of Jesus or skeptical of his followers. Well, this is still a great place, a safe place to explore and ask questions as you look for answers. We're asking questions and looking for answers too. So I think we can be pretty good company on your journey. So welcome. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church, by checking out our Facebook page, or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your home church, or if you just have questions, let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find a discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. And now, let's join our service. This week is week two of our four-week series on the book of Jonah, Life Interrupted, Reluctant Prophet, Relentless God. Last week, we were introduced to a prophet named Jonah who was reluctant to obey. In fact, he deliberately disobeys God's instruction to warn the city of Nineveh of their sin and turn to the living God. He attempts to run as far as possible from where he's supposed to be and from what he's supposed to be doing by getting on a boat which is heading in the opposite direction. But as we know, we can't run from God. And Jonah has the opportunity to experience God's sovereignty in a powerful way. God brings a powerful storm, and long story short, Jonah is thrown overboard into the raging sea one would expect certain death. Now, if you missed last week's message, I would encourage you to watch it online so that you can get the important details of Jonah's assignment and his actions. It'll help you apply the now what that God has for you in the book of Jonah. And since we're here to grow, the now what is super important to get a handle on. And that's the part where we go, and this is how that applies to my life, my circumstances, my attitude today. It's the application of God's word and how we think, talk, and act, which helps us grow to be more like Jesus. Now this week, we'll see that God thwarts Jonah's plans to escape his instructions by providing a strange rescue for him the belly of a large fish. Now, under normal circumstances, being thrown overboard during a powerful storm in the middle of the sea would mean certain death. And as we saw last week, the things that we expect to happen don't, and the things that we don't expect to happen do, 
enter the character people think of first when they think of the book of Jonah, the big fish. And this whole fish thing is certainly unexpected. I mean, who thinks, you know, I bet this guy is going to get swallowed by a giant fish. It's just not what we would expect to happen with someone who gets thrown overboard. I mean, we might think Jaws or something. I mean, I would. I, I have shark phobia, so of course that would be my first thought. This book is full of the unexpected, even the unimaginable. But then God is a relentless God, and his love for us is so great that he uses anything necessary to reach us, even the things that we least expect. Jonah is saved from the storm by being swallowed up by a large fish, and it appears that Jonah has some time and an opportunity to rethink his escape plan and to consider obeying God after all. Scripture tells us that Jonah is in the belly of the fish for three-ish days, and there's some debate as to whether it's an actual 72 hours, but we're not going to go down that rabbit trail today. Uh, while he's in there, Jonah utters a prayer. Now, he never technically says that he's sorry for his attitude and actions, but he does thank God for not abandoning him. And he promises that he will obey God from this point on. And then Jonah's ejected from the fish onto dry land and off he goes to Nineveh. Now the Nineveh experience is in chapter 3. We're going to talk about that next week. How about we pray and then we can take a deeper dive, get it, deeper dive, into the second chapter of Jonah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a gracious, unrelenting God you are. We thank you, Lord, for your love for us. And as we dive into your word today, I pray that we would have your ears to hear, your thoughts to think, and your heart to act. So God, move, move us toward you today as we experience your word together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Jonah is experiencing what happens when we choose to disobey God. Jonah's actively trying to ditch the Lord, probably more than just trying to get out of going to Nineveh. But God does not ignore our disobedience. There are always consequences. Our consequences probably won't be getting tossed overboard into the raging sea, but still, we have consequences. And sometimes we wonder why things in are in such disarray in our lives, and we forget to check our spirit and make sure that we are in alignment with God. Now, that's not to say that obedience makes everything perfect. We all know that that's not the case. But disobedience always causes disruption in our peace with God. It causes us to pull away. And we can end up feeling just like Jonah as he expressed his heart to the Lord in prayer, which is what we're going to look at today. Now, chapter 2 of the book of Jonah is a poetic poem of prayer. So let's read through the whole thing before we take it apart. And this will help us get the flow of Jonah's experience as well as see how truly it is written in poetry form. Now, as I read, notice the descriptive words he uses to explain how it feels to have distance between him and God. Jonah is feeling desperate, 
And I think we've all experienced the feeling that, that you are too far away or too far under from the Lord, and you don't see a way out. So let's see what Jonah has to say about what's happening in his heart. Let's look at Jonah chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me, and I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more towards your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves, and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains, and I was imprisoned in the earth, whose gates lock shut forever. But you, O Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. And as my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. And my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies, but I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. Now, there are several verses um, here that cause some, the scholars some debate, but let's remember that debates in this book are not essential doctrines or beliefs. What I mean by that is that it's not a hill to die on. However you interpret this passage, it does not change the fact that the only way to have a relationship with God is through a relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ. So whatever your view might be, Jesus is still the only way to God. So what this passage is for us is an example of Jonah's disobedience, of God's discipline, and Jonah's repentance and God's answer to Jonah's prayer. All right, so let's unpack these verses. We'll start uh, with verse 2. Verse 1, verse 2. Whatever we, wherever we want to start, that's where we're going to start. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. He cr and he said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and the Lord, you heard me. So right off the bat, we have this word that brings debate. And it's the word then. Then Jonah prayed. Now, some believe that it means that after three days, Jonah decides to pray. However, it is common in the Hebrew language and literary style to give a full account of something and then go back to emphasize the important points. We see this in Genesis concerning creation. We read about the six days of creation, and then the author of Genesis goes back and gives great detail to the story of the creation of man. In fact, today, we're going to go through the theology of this chapter, and then we're going to go back and look at the application. So don't get all excited when we're 15 minutes in and you see that we're on verse 10, because it's just the beginning. So the next possible point of confusion is, I called you from the land of the dead. 
Now, some versions say out of the land of Sheol, and Sheol is a Hebrew word and is sometimes translated in Scripture as grave, and in other places as the unseen world, meaning where the dead go. One interpretation of this verse is that Jonah died in the belly of the fish, but because his spirit cried out to God and God heard his prayer, God raised him to life again. And this would be a foreshadowing or picture of Jesus dying on the cross and being raised to life again three days later. Certainly, that's a possible interpretation, and it's possibly the most common interpretation. Now, some argue that Jonah could not have survived in the digestive system of the large fish, so he had to be dead. However, there are documented cases of humans being swallowed by whales and sharks only to be discovered alive inside these animals and actually surviving the incidents. So scientifically, it's possible. Whether Jonah was alive or dead and raised to life doesn't change the fact that Jonah cried out to God after his rebellion against God, and God heard him and answered him. And again, the focus should not be on the fish and whether Jonah was alive or dead inside the fish. God is the main character here. God listened to Jonah when he cried out to him and answered Jonah's prayer, even though Jonah had rebelled against him by rejecting God's instructions to warn the city of Nineveh about God's coming judgment. All right, now let's pick it up in verse 3. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more towards your holy temple. Jonah is acknowledging what's happening to him is God's discipline. So you, meaning God, threw me into the depths. You, God, have driven me from your presence. Jonah is experiencing the consequences of his actions, and we don't like to think about the consequences of disobeying God. Jonah is experiencing some very harsh discipline from God. Jonah knows that although he was far from God, that discipline does not mean abandonment. He understands that through repentance, relationship is restored. And Jonah would have known God's promises, and he would have understood that the, the significance of the temple that King Solomon built referred to in verse 4. Jonah had faith that God will restore him and that he will look once again to the holy temple. Now, when King Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem, he asked God for a special favor regarding restoration of God's people. In 1 Kings chapter 8, it's a great read. I would recommend that you check it out this week. But for today, let me just give you a glimpse from 1 Kings chapter 8 from verses 38 through 40. And if your people Israel pray about their troubles, raising their hands toward this temple, then hear from heaven where you live and forgive. Give your people what their actions deserve, for you alone know each human heart. Then they will fear you as long as they live in the land you gave our ancestors. So by faith, Jonah recognized that he was getting what he deserved, and he believed that God will deliver him. Let's keep moving. Verse 5. 
I sank beneath the waves and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head and I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O oh Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. Now, this is the epitome of hitting bottom. Jonah has hit bottom and the only way is up, up to the Lord. Now, verse 6 here is another one of those verses that scholars don't totally agree on. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates lock shut forever. Some versions say I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. The ancient concept of Sheol was that when you went down to the grave, you couldn't escape because bars actually closed over you. And the word bar um, has a double meaning in Hebrew, just like it does in English. In Hebrew, it can mean bar as in bars that close over you, or it can mean sandbar in the depths of the ocean. So again, whether Jonah actually died and was raised or was certain that he was going to die, he is thankful that God has saved him. All right, verse 7. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Again, we see Jonah's desperation, but he remembered the Lord. We also have the temple mentioned again. Side note, now although the temple was a place of worship, Jonah would have understood that God is everywhere, not just in the temple. Jonah goes on to acknowledge that Worshiping anything other than God is actually turning our backs on God. And he decides that he will obey God's will after all. Jonah recognizes that everything he is and that he has is from God. Verse 8, those who worship false gods turn their backs on all of God's mercies but I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Those who give highest priority to something other than Jesus or find their security in anything other than Jesus are turning their backs on the mercy that Jesus offers. When we make a decision to put our relationships, our finances, our dreams, our careers above Jesus, we are worshiping false gods. Now, although we might not use the word worship in this day and age, that's what we're doing. And when we are worshiping something, we are turned toward that something. And that means that our back would be to God. We are turned away from him and toward that thing or person or whatever it is that isn't God. Jonah had placed his disdain for the Ninevites and his take-it-or-leave-it attitude toward God's word above his love and obedience to God. Now, as he's experienced the consequences of his actions, he seems to have a bit of regret regarding his decision and decides to fulfill the vows he remembers that is, salvation comes from the Lord alone. And then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. Now, some versions say vomit. Some versions say spit. Again, does it really matter? 
It doesn't change the point of the story. The point is that Jonah was delivered by God. Um, So that was the here's what part of the message. And now it's time for the now what part of the message. Now what do I do with what I just learned? Now we've got three main issues here. We've got disobedience, we've got discipline, we've got repentance. Disobedience. We've talked uh, quite a bit about that. We are disobedience anytime we say no to God's will and yes to something else instead. Or anytime we put something else first in our lives and God's second or third or not at all. What is God's will? God's will is for us to be in relationship with Him and to live in alignment with his plan for our lives. And we discover how God wants us to live by reading the Bible. That's God's written instruction book and more importantly, his love letter to us. If I want to understand God's will for my life, that's where I'm going to find it. It isn't found in the media or in culture, it's found in the Bible. A disobedience starts with one rebellious decision that leads to another and another, and before you know it, you are running from God. Now, Jonah didn't start out running. We, we do know from last week that there was already something going on inside his heart, and Jonah held more tightly to his judgment and hatred than he held his desire to obey God. He chose to continue the hate with the Ninevites. I mean, yes, they were his enemies, literally, in the deepest sense of the word. Even so, he needed a heart change toward them. There were things in Jonah's heart that needed changing even before he started running. And about that, you know, love your enemies thing, In our day, we don't really think of ourselves as having enemies. I mean, so we don't really have to worry about them. But an enemy is really anyone who has hurt you or wronged you or someone you love. It could be that person that just gives you the ick. You just don't like them for some reason. Maybe you don't like them because you're a jerk. The point is, we have enemies in our hearts, and we often avoid contact, or we avoid leaning into how we might influence them for God. Maybe God put them in our lives to grow us, to give us a chance to obey in a difficult area, when frankly, we'd rather avoid it altogether. Jonah's an example of disobedience. There are other examples in the Bible. I mean, take the the parable of the prodigal son in Luke. It's the story of a son who already had it pretty good, but he wanted more. He left the safety and the security of his home, taking his inheritance with him, and he decided to live life on his own terms, wasting everything he had until he was broke and he was broken. He hit bottom. There was nothing left for him to do but to return home. And when he finally does, his father welcomes him with open arms. King David is another example. He chose lust, 
deceit and infidelity, which led to murder and the death of his son. Again, God restores King David, but not without consequences. These situations started out with a little seed of lust for something other than God in the hearts of these men. And then it was fed and it was watered with more bad decisions until it grew into full-blown rebellion. But in every story of running from God, either physically as with Jonah and the prodigal son or emotionally uh, with David, disobedience started with the first decision to turn away from God and toward something else. And we see discipline in each of these stories as well. The prodigal son loses everything and is starving. King David loses a son. Jonah, well, we know what happened to Jonah. But before we go too far here, remember that not everything bad that happens is a form of discipline from God. I mean, let's not jump to the false teaching that if I'm good all the time, I receive good all the time. And when I do something bad, something bad happens all the time. That is just not the case. We must not think of discipline as punishment. True discipline is centered around the care of our hearts and of our minds. Discipline is designed to create positive change in or not just to inform inflict pain for no reason. When we experience God's discipline, he is helping us to get back on track. I mean, we discipline ourselves to get the results that we want in our lives every day. We go to the doctor to stay in good health. We balance rest and nutrition and exercise so that we can function, our, our bodies can function at their best. And when we aren't doing those things, we need correction with our habits to get back on track with our health. When we're spending too much money, we need discipline, we've got to discipline ourselves and correct our spending habits so that we can create a sustainable budget. We, we can't reach our desired results without correction in our spending. Discipline and correction are methods that God uses to help us live in greater alignment with Him and His plan for our lives. Proverbs 3.11 says, My child, don't reject discipline, and don't be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he loves, just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. And in Hebrews, And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as children, he said? My children, don't take light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the Father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best that they knew how, but God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. 
It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Now, the incredibly beautiful thing is that we can always turn around and run home to the Lord. We can never be too far gone. There's nothing so bad that we can't be restored. There's never a time that we can't run to God for the first time. Nothing can keep his love from us. But it takes more than running feet. It takes a change of heart. Warren Wearsby writes, how we respond to God's discipline determines how much benefit we receive from it. Now, we do have options. That's called free will. And we get to choose how we will respond. Regarding discipline, we can hate it and fight. We can become discouraged and give up. We can be stubborn and resist, which usually leads to more discipline. It's kind of like being a parent. You know, you say to your child, if you argue with me, you're going to be grounded tonight. Okay, keep arguing and it's going to be two weeks. That's three weeks. You get the picture. Or we can submit to the Lord and grow in faith and maturity. Which brings us to repentance. Repentance is when we decide to agree with God, turn from what we shouldn't be doing toward what we should be doing. It's a change in our actions and our attitude that reveals a change in our heart. And the first step in repentance is to agree with God. You're right. I'm wrong. Whether or not Jonah believed in God was not the question. And just for the record, believing in God or that there is a God is not enough. Even Satan believes in God. But Satan chooses to reject God and do his own thing. A real relationship with God requires that we receive his unconditional love and that we submit to his authority. That's how we get to know God personally. I mean, Jonah knew God personally. God had actually spoken to Jonah and given him instructions on more than one occasion. But there's a difference between knowing who someone is and knowing someone. Uh, The word intimate comes to mind. Intimacy is having a close personal connection with someone. An intimate relationship goes to the core of who we are. Intimate love for one another is deep. And we want to know what their heart desires. We get great joy from bringing them joy. This is the kind of knowing God that I mean here. And when we have an intimate relationship with God, we can trust the process of repentance. Repentance starts by agreeing with God. And the next step is to take a turn. Turn toward God and away from addiction, away from shopping, away from unhealthy relationship or putting your job first or from being unkind or selfish. I mean, you get the picture. Turn away from whatever God doesn't want and to what God does want. If you need help doing that, get help. 
I mean, make an appointment with a counselor or one of the pastors here at Dayspring. Do whatever it takes to turn back to the Lord. Now, hear this. Repentance doesn't always start with changed feelings. Sometimes it starts with a changed behavior and the feelings follow later. Repentance means that you choose to obey God despite your feelings or the dreams or the goals that you want to hold on to. Now, when I left the fire department, I did not want to go. In fact, God pried it out of my hand. Now, I knew he was telling me to leave, but I wasn't sure what was next. I was afraid of a future without it. I had worked very hard for my position. It wasn't easy being the first hired female on the department. And when it was time to renew my paramedic license, there were several hoops to jump through and plenty of time to think about it. Now, though I knew God was asking me to give it up, I started out for Joppa. I took my state research exam, aced it, thank you very much. I had all my continuing education ducks lined up in a row. I was literally heading to the hospital to have my physician advisor sign my paperwork to send into the state of Oregon. And just as I was arriving, I knew, I knew plain as day that I was not in alignment with God and what he had next for me. And before I actually got out of the boat and headed for Tarshish, I turned my butt around and I drove home. I didn't get my paper signed, which meant that I could not resert. I painfully allowed God to pry it from my death grip, my dream. And now I see why. He was moving me into something else that he wanted me to do. Repentance means that you are willing, regardless of the pain, to trust Jesus and stop traveling in the wrong direction. Feelings and desires of our hearts are two different things. We can desire a change in our heart, but we don't feel like doing it, so we don't. A heart change is when our heart's desire aligns with God's desires, regardless of our feelings. Now, I didn't feel like leaving the fire department. In fact, I loved the fire department. My feelings were telling me, don't leave. My heart's desire was telling me that God had a reason and I needed to trust him. Now, we can also make a change in our behavior, but not in our heart. I mean, I may be sitting down on the inside, but I'm standing up on the outside. That results in a short-term change of behavior. It doesn't result in change inside of us that lasts. I mean, check the slide. This might help. Behavioral change plus heart change equals temporary change. Heart change plus behavioral change equals permanent change. If we want to experience the fullness of repentance, we have to do more than say sorry. I mean, it's not like when you were five and your parents made you apologize to someone when you weren't sorry. I'm sorry. 
If we want to experience the fullness of repentance, we must agree with God that he's right and I'm wrong. We must make a heart change so our desires align with his. Then when we act on that heart change, we've got to do that. We've got to act on it. Remember, we can't face two directions at the same time. Although I did used to tell my kids that I had eyes in the back of my head. It's impossible to face two directions at the same time. And obedience and disobedience are in opposite directions. So we've got to get our heads on straight if we want to walk in obedience. And again, God's relentless love will welcome us into his arms, whether it's for the first time or, or if we've been a prodigal son or daughter and we're deciding to return home. I'd like to close by inviting you to pray a few verses from Psalm 51 with me. They're going to be up on the screens, and don't worry, it's okay to pray with your eyes open. So let's pray this together. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Say it with me. Oh, Lord, have mercy on me, oh God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You'll be proved right in, in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Let me encourage you to download the discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. Working through those questions on your own or with others will help the truth of God's Word begin to shape your life as you grow to be like Jesus. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen or you can call the church during the week. This ministry is made possible because of the faithful giving of people who call Dayspring their home church. God's work in their lives has left them changed, has made them more like Jesus, and they have come to understand how God uses their generosity to encourage others to become like Jesus as well. So if you're just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. We count it a privilege to play a small part in God's perfect work in you today. For those of you who would like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website or text GIVE to the number on your screen or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. Until we meet again, I am praying that God would give you opportunities to use your influence for the glory of His kingdom. Oh, and one more thing. Thank you for liking and sharing and following Dayspring on whatever platform you connect with us. Thank you for rating us where that is appropriate. Even more, thank you for sharing our services with your friends and family. If this service was a blessing to you, it'll probably be a blessing to someone else too. God uses you to plant seeds in other people's lives. So keep sowing.